Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. I'm Crispin Schroeder. Today on the podcast, we have a message from Mitchell Butler, one of the members of our teaching team here at North Shore Vineyard. This is entitled To Be Right or To Be Christ Like. Mitchell will be looking into the issues concerning navigating some of the kind of conflicts that that we might have as Christians, particularly when we have to confront someone or be confronted by someone. Uh, How do we go about this thing? So let's go ahead and head to the talk, North Shore Vineyard Church, downtown Covington. Thanks for listening. going to come together and we are going to start reading a book called The Gifts of Imperfection by Brene Brown. I am super excited about this. We're going to have a great conversation around the book. We are going to practice sharing our stories and practice compassionate listening. And I think it's going to be a great time. I got together with Faith yesterday and we sat down and started talking through some of the chapters and I'm, I'm just so excited that we're going to get to do this. So if you haven't signed up and you still want to, on the back patio, there's a sign-up sheet. It gives you the time information. The book is 10 bucks, And I was going to say, bring a journal because you might enjoy having that for some of the things we're going to do. And was just going to ask, try to start reading the first chapter. These are very, very short chapters. We tried to pick something that I think will average maybe about 10 pages a week. You know, I, I'm, I'm making it fit us. I know what we're like. So uh, try to jump in and come ready to talk and have a great time together. So really excited. And now we're going to see a video. Keep cheese in a suitcase? <laughs> I didn't put it there, Marie. Ray. Ray! All right, run, quick, get rid of it. <laughs> I cannot believe him. Uh, why don't we take the suitcase outside and, and air it out? No, 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 no. We're not moving it. But definitely. No, no. Ray doesn't get to win because of this. If smells bothered me, I would have left him a long time ago. Oh, dear. I knew you were having suitcase problems, but I didn't think you'd gotten this bad. How did you know about our suitcase problem? Come with me. I want to show you something. Did, did, did Frank tell you about this? Frank. You don't think I noticed a suitcase sitting there for 23 and a half days? 
what I'm going to tell you, I've never told anyone. Not Raymond, not Robert, no one. Wow, Marie, what is it? When Frank and I got married, one of our gifts was a big fork and spoon. Oh. <laughs> I had always assumed that those were Robert's baby utensils. <laughs> no, they were a wedding present. Frank and I wanted to return them the minute we opened the box. You don't like the big fork and spoon? We hate the big fork and spoon. <laughs> but they're like a fixture of the house. The big fork and spoon. They're horrible. Look at them. They're completely without nuance. So why are they up there? I wanted Frank to return them because it was his Aunt Sophia that gave them to me. Ugh, his family. I tell you, Deborah. The groom side of the church was like a gypsy camp. <laughs> And so Frank thought that you should return it. Of course. I'm the woman. They're technically silverware. So one day, after months of the spoon and the forks just sitting on the counter, we had a big fight. It was our first fight as husband and wife. Wow. The shot heard round the world. Finally, I told him, I'm going to my mother's, and when I get back, you better be the only ugly thing left in this house. <laughs> and when I got home, he was sitting right here, and he had nailed the spoon to the wall. Whoa. He thought he had won. You see what I did? Ah, very clever. <laughs> You notice the fork is higher. <laughs> and they've been there ever since. Every time I come into this kitchen, it reminds me of that fight. Every day for 45 years. Wow. Trust me, dear. It's not worth it. Go. Go move the luggage. You be the better person. Hmm? Don't let a suitcase filled with cheese be your big fork and spoon. Never heard that before. Take it to heart, dear. All right. Thanks, Marie. Of course. All right, so this morning our passage is from Galatians 6, and I'm going to go ahead and read that. It's verses 1 through 5. Um, I used the message version this week. Uh, I just like the way that this was worded. So it says, Live creatively, friends. If someone falls into sin, forgivingly restore him, saving your critical comments for yourself. You might be needing forgiveness before the day's out. Stoop down and reach out to those who are oppressed. Share their burdens and so complete Christ's law. If you think you are too good for that, you are badly deceived. Make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you have been given, and then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life. There have been unresolved issues in the church for thousands of years now. And uh, there's one particular church who has seemed to have uh, found the corner on the market on this. This is a church in Jerusalem known as the Church of the Holy 
sepulchre, I think is how you pronounce that. That's kind of a weird word. Um, but this is believed by many to be the, uh, uh, the site of Jesus' crucifixion and also of his burial tomb. So uh, looking at that from the perspective of any Christian, uh, this would be pretty holy ground for, uh, for Christian people. And uh, the church there is occupied by six different uh, congregations. You have the Greek Orthodox, the Armenian Orthodox, the Roman Catholics, the Egyptian Copts, the Syrian Orthodox, and the Ethiopian Orthodox. Now, I don't know if you've ever shared a building with another congregation, but it typically has some level of tension in it. Um, I've, I've had a couple experiences with that, and it typically doesn't seem to be the theological differences that uh, are the problem. It, it's typically a personality issue, um, and, and so, as you can imagine, having six congregations in one church uh, might also cause some problems. But in 1853, uh, they set up a thing uh, in this church called the status quo. And what this was meant to do, it was meant to create a situation where nothing in the common areas of this building could change without complete consensus by all groups occupying the church. So, for instance, on the outside of the building, there leans a ladder, a wooden ladder underneath a window. And this ladder is reported to have been there since the 1830s because they have not been able to come to a consensus on whether or not to remove the ladder. The ladder serves no purpose. It has no meaning. It just sits there. But it doesn't stop there. These uh, six congregations have taken this a step further. Uh, in 2004, during an Orthodox celebration of the exaltation of the Holy Cross, a door of the Franciscan chapel was left open. Uh. This was seen as a sign of disrespect by the Orthodox, and a fight broke out. On a hot summer day in 2002, a Coptic monk moved his chair from its appointed spot, the agreed-upon location, which cannot be moved according to the status quo, into the shade. This was seen as uh, a hostile move by the Ethiopians. Eleven people were hospitalized. <laughs> and on Palm Sunday in 2008, a brawl broke out when a Greek monk was asked to leave the service by a rival faction. The police were called, and they also were attacked in the melee. So... There's, there's, no, there's no secret that there's division and strife in the church. Some are slightly more extreme than others. Uh, but this is, this is a part of our history. Some of it over big things, some of it over little things, like ladders leaning up against buildings. To date, there are approximately 40,000 different Protestant church organizations in the world. 40,000. Now, that does include any sort of nonprofit organization, any parachurch organization, uh, but it also includes all denominations as well as all um, um, non-denominational churches. Now, that statistic alone kind of points to just this enormous issue of just division over uh, opinions, over theology, um, over just styles of worship or, or, or how we take communion, how we baptize, um, all sorts of issues have created division in the church. But in the midst of, say, the Protestant Reformation, an enormous division uh, in the church, 
Where do you think God would have, have resided on that issue? What, what do you think his stance might have been? I think it's pretty safe to say that the Catholic Church was probably in need of some reform of some of their practices. But do you think that God was looking down on the situation and rooting on Martin Luther as if like we root on the saints on a Sunday afternoon? I'm going to say probably not. So a couple of questions that I want us to think about this morning. Was this kind of division between followers of Christ really what God had envisioned for us? And how has this division hindered the church in carrying out God's purpose for us as a group? I, I truly believe that the divisions in the church have been heartbreaking for God. Uh, I don't think that that's the way that he uh, created us to be or, or asked us to, to live our lives a, as a church. But to that extent, I also believe that God also knows that we are a group of broken, fallen people. And he probably had some level of expectation that we would have strife, division, uh, arguments, and things such as that. And not just divisions between congregations. I mean, if you really look at it, this is really a personal issue. This isn't necessarily a congregational issue. This is something that happens between individuals. And it happens to all of us in our own individual lives on a regular basis. So here we look at our passage today. Paul's letter to the Galatian church is really an attempt to settle a dispute within a congregation. Uh, And Paul is uh, asking the church to settle their differences uh, and to do it in a loving way and to focus their eyes on Jesus. The Galatian church at that point, if, if, if you read the whole chapter of Gal- the whole book of Galatians, uh, the whole church is struggling with some pretty major issues for their time. They are uh, battling with, do we circumcise or not circumcise? Do we live by the law or do we live by the spirit? They're really wanting to discover and, 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 and ha- having battles on what are the true markers of the followers of Jesus. And these would have been huge issues for the early church. If you just think about where the Jewish believers would have come from, this would have been completely countercultural to them. It would have gone against everything that they have been taught their entire life up until the point Jesus came. But big or or large, Paul asked them to uh, settle their differences. And he asked them to use humility and gentleness when confronting these difficult situations with each other. So how would the landscape of the church look had the churches over the years heeded Paul's advice. The reality is that we've all had big fork and spoon experiences in our life. I think we can all say that for sure, whether it was something uh, that we thought was absolutely important or if we can really look at it and say it was something pretty stupid. Um, But we've had divisions in relationship over things that in the long run really don't matter. Uh, I recall a time um, right after Sarah and I got married, uh, and we had just gotten back from our honeymoon, and we had opened our presents with our family. And uh, it also happened to be Super Bowl Sunday. And uh, Super Bowl Sunday 2004, you all think you know where this conversation is going, but you don't. Sarah wanted me to watch the game. I don't even remember who was playing, but I do remember that it was the infamous Justin Timberlake, Janet Jackson Super Bowl halftime show. That has nothing to do with my message, by the way. <clears throat> so we left, uh, we left uh, Sarah's parents' house that afternoon from opening our presents, and we were going home to watch the game. Uh, but uh, being newlyweds and having barely lived in our house, we had no way of watching the game. We had no cable. We had no antenna. 
So I called my sister, who at the time was living with my parents, and uh, knew that she wasn't going to be watching the game, and why would she use an antenna when she had cable downstairs? And I asked my sister, hey, can I come get your TV antenna so I can watch the Super Bowl? And my sister begrudgingly said no. She had no reason to say no, uh, but that was her answer. Uh, And being that I wanted to watch the Super Bowl, and knowing that she wasn't going to be home anyways, I decided to go borrow her antenna. (laughs) So we went back to our house, we watched the game, and later on that night, we went out uh, and watched, uh, went to the movies with some friends. I think that was Lord of the Rings 2 or 3, I don't remember. So we were in the movie theater for a long time, and I get a phone call from my sister. And I'm like, oh, great, here we go. She leaves a voicemail. And you know when you, you can tell that it's a long voicemail from the time that the phone stops ringing to the alert for the, uh, the voicemail message? You know, I mean, usually it's like 15, 20 seconds, but when it's like 90 seconds, you know you're really in for it. So I, I, I listen to the message, and instantly uh, uh, everything inside of me just starts to boil up, and I can feel my anger because my sister's message was very nasty about how I disrespected her and her antenna. <laughs> it's so stupid, isn't it? So... That night we left the movies, I went home, I got her antenna, and I took it back to her house. Now, I knew she wasn't going to be home, and I left it in her room. And then I sat down and I penned a very long note to my sister and left it on her windshield. I'm thinking it was probably around four or five pages handwritten. The next day, I get a phone call from my father. My dad was um, my pastor and my boss and my father. And uh, he calls me and says, son, I need to talk to you about something. Can you, can you come by my office later today? All right, Pop. So later that afternoon, I go to his office, and my dad pulls the letter out. He says, son, I found this on your sister's car this morning. I didn't know what it was, but I looked at it, and I took it with me. He said, I want to ask you something. Is this really how you want to handle this situation? He told me, I I understand what you're saying, and some of the things you're saying, they might be very true. But I think this is a very poor way for you to handle this. As you can imagine, my letter was full of different sorts of expletives, descriptions of situations that might not be seen so favorably by my sister. And I hung my head... And I said, you're right, Pop. You can throw the letter away. He gave me the option. He told me. He said, I will put this back on her car. He was willing to do that. Uh, But I decided not to. And, uh, you know, I look back on it, and it's it's one of the stupidest things I could ever imagine. I mean, who uses TV antennas anyways? Um, (laughs) But the reality is that my sister and I, we both stood our ground on the virtue of being right. She was right about the fact that I shouldn't have taken her antenna. And I was right about the fact that she was being stubborn and greedy with her antenna. And I don't know what would have happened if if my sister had gotten that letter, but I can guarantee you that there would have been some strife. 
there had been some sort of division in our relationship over something as stupid as a TV antenna. Uh, Dallas Willard quotes in one of his books, he says, Christians are routinely taught by example and word that it is more important to be right than it is to be Christ-like. In fact, being right licenses, licenses you to be mean and indeed requires you to be mean, righteously mean, of course. We love to be right so much. Like, that's literally a part of who we are. And in fact, we like it so much that we forget that we weren't called to be right. We were called to be Christ-like. And Paul addresses this multiple times to multiple different churches uh, throughout his letters. Romans 14, 1 through 4, he says, Welcome with open arms fellow believers who don't see things the way you do, and don't jump all over them every time they do or say something you don't agree with even when it seems that they are strong on opinions but weak in the faith department. Remember, they have their own history to deal with. Treat them gently. You know, when we really look at things at the way, at the way that this is worded here, we all have our own history to deal with. That is such an important thing for all of us to remember all the time. We're all a product of where we came from, from our parents, grandparents, Um, our church or religious backgrounds, uh, anything that could have happened to us throughout our life changes our outlook on life uh, and and our our belief systems. One of the things that, uh, um, you know, Sarah and I, uh, in three weeks, we have our one-year anniversary of moving to Louisiana. Um, And when we moved here, we, we knew very well that southern Louisiana was a little bit different than southern California. We expected there to be some cultural differences, um, and that wasn't so much of a shock to us. Uh, but one of the things that, 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 that did shock me a little bit, and not in a terrible way, but just kind of surprised me, was the difference in religious culture in southern Louisiana compared to what I was used to in southern California. Um, southern California is a very relatively laid-back place. Um, people don't get up in arms about a whole lot of stuff. Um, they're not holding their ground. To be honest with you, a lot of churches look very similar there. Um, And so when I came here and I started uh, building relationships with people, uh, talking to them and just kind of getting to know them, um, I learned that um, pretty much everybody comes from some different religious um, uh, background. There's cultural differences that make up each each person here, Um, just within the church. And uh, it, it was really something that I wasn't expecting to see how that had formed each person's um, belief systems in such a, a, in a diverse way. And, uh, you know, it's been really interesting because those relationships, uh, you know, I, I'm mostly coming to these conversations with a group of guys in the church that we get together on occasion. And, um, you know, one of the greatest things about this group of guys is there, there are so many different varying opinions that they have. Uh, there are different stances on different things. Uh, but every time we get into one of these conversations about these things, the, the, the thing that you see more than anything else is just that the love and respect that they have for each other. And since my time being here, I have yet to see somebody get up and leave the group angry or hostile. Um, now, that may have happened before I got here. I'm not going to say it hasn't. But they really have, 
a true sense of, of love and appreciation for each other and their differences and their backgrounds. And that's something that has really uh, spoken to me. Uh, and, 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 you know, while I may not agree with everything that they say or where they come from or whatever that is, uh, I, have, I have learned a lot from each of these, these gentlemen in the church. And they have uh, helped me grow. And they've helped me ask questions in different ways about my beliefs and, and, um, and just the general sense of, of love that they have for each other has been a wonderful thing. And Paul says in this, in this verse, chap, in uh, verse 1, I mean, he starts it off that if you do need to confront a brother or sister. So, you know, obviously this is a necessary part of our life with each other, um, whether it's with, here within the church, whether it's uh, your spouse, your brother, uh, whatever it is, th- this is something that is a part of our life. But it's the way that Paul describes it that is what is most important. He says uh, in the message version, it says to forgivingly restore them. In the NIV, he says, use gentleness and humility. These are the most important factors about these discussions and confrontations that we have with each other. Uh, Sarah and I lived in southern Louisiana for a year after Hurricane Katrina. That was our uh, southern Louisiana introduction. Um, and uh, we, we worked for an organization called Mercy Response, which was the um, disaster relief organization for the Vineyard Church. And it was based out of the Kenner Vineyard. And um, so we did that for a year. And um, during uh, we, I led relief camps that went out and did rebuilding projects for people. And one week, all the other staff from the camp were gone, uh, and I was the one that was left in charge. About that time, I was 25-ish, I think. Uh, and I've never been a real confrontational pers- person. I kind of just kind of say, well, let's just see how this goes. Maybe it'll go away. Um, not t- necessarily the best tactic in the world, but uh, at that time, I mean, I, that, was, that was kind of my mode of operation. But everybody else was gone, and we had some volunteers in. And uh, we had this lady that came in from uh, Colorado, and she was there by herself, and we had about two other church groups in from different denominations. And um, this lady, she kind of got a fire lit under her about all the things that we weren't doing that we should be doing, and uh, we weren't responding to situations in the way that maybe she thought we should respond to. And so she, she started trying trying to rally the troops of the other groups to go out and do things that weren't really in the scope of our organization. Uh, and um, so I just kind of like hoped it would go away, and it didn't. She was very ambitious. Um, and eventually the uh, pastor of one of the other groups that was there um, noticing that it was starting to create some strife, he just kind of stepped up to the lady and said, hey, lady, we're, we're not going to participate with what you're doing. You know, this isn't what we came here to do. And uh, I was very grateful for that man. But when, uh, when my boss got back, I uh, kind of talked to him about the situation. And uh, his name was Phil. And Phil is um, a man of much larger stature than myself. And he's from Jersey. And uh, when you think of, uh, well, he describes it like this. The people in Jersey don't think that the movie My Cousin Vinny's funny because that's just, that's just normal to them. So um, you think of Jersey, that's what Phil was like. 
and he grew up going to school with like mobsters and um, things like that. So like literally uh, taking people out into the trash was something like that really happened for people that he knew. Um, and, and, and Phil grew up like fighting people in bars and stuff. And I'm like, that, that's just a whole nother world. I never experienced anything like that. So Phil could be a, a pretty intimidating person for myself. And Phil knew that he needed to have a conversation about this situation with me. And so he did. I mean, one night we're sitting in the car, and uh, we had just gotten back from dinner. And uh, he, he, Sarah and, and Matthew, our son, who was an infant at the time, were with us. And he says, hey, Sarah, I'm going to talk to Mitchell. Why don't you go ahead and go back to your trailer? We lived in a FEMA trailer. Um, <clears throat> lots of stories about that, but we'll save those for another time. <clears throat> and Phil very lovingly had a conversation with me about what the implications were for my decision not to confront this woman and not to halt her ambitions. Um, you know, as a organization that was operating out of another church, technically we were a, that the hands and feet of that church, and everything that we did was a representation of that church. And so he really just kind of laid out this whole picture for me of what are the implications if this woman had done this, this, and this? What do you think that Pastor Phil Johnson would have thought about that? And I just thought, uh, he probably wouldn't have been too happy with me. Um, so, and, and Phil just really spent the time to, to talk with me about this and to talk about how it's important for me to speak up and to um, have conversations that need to be had. Phil could have very easily um, put me to shame. He could have very easily beat me up if he really wanted to. Um, <laughs> um, but I, I never thought Phil would have done that. <clears throat> but he, he had the opportunity to really make me feel like a really small person, and he didn't. Uh, he, he really took the opportunity to make sure that I got something out of that situation, that I learned something that I could use going forward in my life. Um, instead of me just walking away from the conversation thinking that Phil was a big, huge jerk or something like that, which is typically kind of what we think after we have some sort of confrontation with somebody that doesn't go too well. We just walk away with a bad taste in our mouth about that person. But I knew that Phil cared about me, and, and, and that was really obvious to me. Phil uh, really loved, um, loved me, and, and he's, he was always been, because of that situation and others, as somebody that I've looked up to, and uh, has mentored me in many ways. But it really is amazing how sometimes we treat each other in response to sin and failures in our lives as if we don't have any of our own. We may not have that person's sin or failure, but we have another one. Uh, and, and we can be just outright ugly with each other when, uh, when we turn to self-righteousness and forget the things that are really important to us, like following Jesus. Um, I usually warn my wife when I'm going to use um, things about our marriage, but I didn't warn her today. Sorry, babe. Hopefully that doesn't result in a confrontation later. Um, Sarah and I both came from very different family backgrounds. Um, Her family argued, and um, within that argument, um, they could have literally beat the crap out of each other just to make their point and to carry on their pride. 
Um, in my family, there would have been an argument or some sort of dispute. But at the end of the day, everybody knew what governed our life. There, there, we were centered around Jesus, and we were centered around love for one another. And so I was perfectly comfortable with an argument. It doesn't bother me because I know that I love my wife, and I know that my wife loves me, and I'm okay with that. But for her, it was completely different. And so she would kind of go into uh, all-out, uh, I'm going to protect myself and my pride and everything else mode. And um, that became very evident to me. Now, Sarah and I started dating when we were 15 years old. So before we got married, we had already done that for six years and uh, had plenty of arguments and destroyed each other's lives in so many different ways. Um, but <clears throat> it's really true. Teenagers are terrible people. I'm sorry. I'm sure you guys are just wonderful. <laughs> I'm speaking about myself. Um, so at some point, I don't know, I don't remember where I got this, but at some point when I realized that our argument had gotten to a, a terrible place, I started telling Sarah that she was not my enemy. Now this drives Sarah crazy, and sometimes it still does. It's the last thing that she wants to hear come out of my mouth when we're in the middle of an argument. And the fact that I'm often a very sarcastic person also does not help the situation. Sometimes she can't tell if I'm being serious or just being a jerk. Um, But the reality is that I'm not her enemy. We're not out to fight each other. We're not out to hurt each other. Um, We're out to uh, love each other and share our life together. And from the day we got married, I knew that we would continue to argue. We would continue to have disputes and disagree about stuff. But it's our commitment to each other and our love to each other through every trial in our life that has to remain the theme in our relationship. That has to be what governs everything that we do and every decision that we make with each other. Now, tensions get high, and that escapes your brain sometimes. Um, But at the end of the day, we always come back to that. And, And we should be able to experience the love and forgiveness of Jesus within every single one of our relationships with each other. When Sarah and I fail to remember that we're on the same team, when we fail to remember what governs our life, uh, we, we, we become adversaries, and we're out for something completely different. And that's when things get really ugly. And this is the way it is with all of our relationships, whether it's your relationship with your spouse, the relationship with a sibling, your parents, or within brothers and sisters here in the church. At the end of chapter 6 in Galatians, Paul says this. He says, Can't you see the central issue in all this? It is what God is doing, and he is creating something totally new, a free life. The central issue in our life is what God is doing. It's not what we're doing. It's not what our pride is. The central issue is what God is doing. We are a part of God's great story, and that's something that we all have a part to play in. Whether we choose to do that is really our decision. Sometimes we will fail at that. And sometimes we'll succeed at that. But when we choose to respond to difficult situations and confrontations in our relationships with the love of Christ, what we are doing is we are investing in that other person and molding their life and their story. And when we choose to do the opposite, 
we're still investing in that person's life, but we're doing it for the wrong reasons. And we're still molding their life and their story and their history. Just kind of, I, I, like, I, I liken this to, as parents, if you're a parent, you know very well that, you know, your job is to try and mold your kids as best as you can. But there are times where you realize that you are molding your children in terrible ways. I mean, that's the truth. They're going to see your brokenness, and they're going to have uh, things that are patterned after, after that, sometimes out of our actions towards them. And so there's a good and a bad that comes to play out of this. But at the end of the day, what is it that is guiding your relationships with each other? Is it our own pride? Is it our own opinions? Um, is it our own theology? Or is it a focus on Jesus and, and trying to live our lives like him? Here at the North Shore Vineyard, we, uh, you could say maybe our motto is love God and love people. And we talk about that a lot here. And, and that's kind of the center of, of what we do here. And so I just want to take what we're talking about this morning and apply it to that and say that loving God and loving people is forgiving, forgivingly restoring our brothers and sisters with gentleness and humility. Now, that's just one way that we do that, but it's a really important way. And our relationships with each other are, are the way that we um, format the, the dynamics of this church and then how we take those relationships and how we take them out into the rest of the world and the rest of our interactions. So a couple things, a couple of points to think about as we close here today. Just some things to think about when you think you might need to have a difficult conversation with somebody. Number one, is this a fork and spoon issue? Is this something that is really so um, trivial that maybe you just need to let it go, or maybe you need to take the higher road, maybe you need to be the bigger person. If that's the case, then maybe think twice about that. Second, spend some time in prayer and reflection over the course of a couple days. Our personal emotions play so much into how we respond to our situations and, and relationships in life, and giving yourself time to get away from the immediacy of your reaction is a really important thing. Um, and, and, and to really see maybe what God is doing in that situation. And within that, recognize your personal emotions and history to that situation. Are you feeling angry? Are you feeling self-righteous? Does this bring something up from your past that really bothers you? What are those things that are making you feel the way that you do? Consider whether this is for the benefit of the other person. You know, we are called to be servants to each other. So... If we're going to go and have that conversation with somebody, is this a service to them or is this a service to ourselves? And lastly, always keep Jesus at the center of the situation. When we forget that that is the center of our lives, then that's where we start to lose our way. Um, so that's all I got for you guys this morning. Thank you very much. <clears throat> If you would like prayer for any reason this morning, you're welcome to come up. We'll have people on the prayer team uh, here to, to pray for you. If not, have a wonderful 4th of July. And if Crispin asks, make sure you tell him that I gave a beautiful, patriotic, all-American, Christian um, message this morning. Okay? Thank you, guys. Have a great weekend.